let's call it the great progression. People are going to leave because they don't have the opportunity in your business, because they aren't growing, they're not having fun, whatever is going wrong, try and understand what is missing in your company that will allow people or our companies to allow people to progress. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Christopher Morley. There's only one success to be able to spend your life in your own way. My guest today is my friend, Brian Scudamore. He's helped a lot of entrepreneurs get the chance to live life their own way. Brian's the founder and CEO of O2E Brands, home of 1-800-GOT-JUNK and other exceptional home services brands. He's also the author of the number one best-selling book, WTF, Willing to Fail, and his brand new book, BYOB, Build Your Own Business, Be Your Own Boss. Brian, welcome back to the Elevate Podcast. Robert, thanks for having me back. So the most important question I had to ask you was, do you only title books that can be made into acronyms? It wasn't the plan. It's funny. I mean, you've written a ton of books and I don't know what the process has been like for you, but the the wizard of ads, Roy Williams, who writes, he's my co-author. He's always said, you can't title the book till the end. Don't even think of what the title is going to be. Let it jump out at you. And there were so many failures and mistakes I made in my journey that in the first book that just seemed easy, WTF, willing to fail. And we had we didn't try and search for an acronym. In fact, we had so many ideas that weren't acronyms, but BYOB stood out. So when we do book number three, I think now we've started a pattern. It has to be an acronym. Right. So you should work backwards, decide what a good acronym is, and then and then write, write a book about book. it. There you well, go. Well, congrats. I saw it was number two on the Wall Street Journal list. Uh, that's awesome getting out there particularly in this time. Um, So look, last time we talked a lot about your background uh, and I encourage people to go listen to that episode if you want to hear more about Brian's incredible story of building uh, OTE and starting with 100 Got Junk. But uh, I'll ask you one of the questions I've been asking to returning guests, uh, which is, what was one of the biggest challenges or shifts to your life or business since this global pandemic started in... uh, March-ish <laughs> 2020? Well, I think it's not dissimilar to probably what most people who are entrepreneurs would say. Now, lucky enough that we're in home services. So all three of our brands, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Wow One Day Painting, where we paint people's homes in a day, Shack Shine, where we do windows, gutters, power washing. People, as we all know, spent way more time at home for a couple of years. Yeah, They did way more work around the house and all of our businesses absolutely thrived. So that was the good news. But as everyone also faced, harder to find employees, salaries went up, it just became more challenging to do business. Now, I know you're the king of teaching people to work remote. We've gone with a hybrid model now. And you were very against it, if I remember, right? I was completely, I'm (laughs) like, you know what? You can't have culture. You can't feel culture remotely. And we've done a great job. Our team has done an exceptional job. I've had very little, almost nothing to do with setting this up. And yes, I was one to fight it. We just last week had our first, what we call quarterly connect. So all of our employees employees came in from every office, everywhere we have 400 people, not franchise owners, but just our head office staff. So you're doing, and you're doing that quarterly, bringing in 400 people. Quarterly. And it was unbelievable. It was a mini conference. It was tons of great learning. 
we had, instead of having keynotes, actually, instead of bringing in all these outside experts, we said, because it's been so long since we've been together, people need to hear from our people. Yeah. So we started what we called Team TED Talks. We, we actually had, we do that in our similar event. Maybe really? just copied us without knowing, or, you know, I'm just kidding. There we go. It, it, we're doing that again in a few weeks. And it's, in, you know, people have some incredible stories and no one knew they even had it. And it's a great, I think it's a great strategy. People actually said to us after our quarterly connect, they're like, please don't bring in big keynotes next time. Like you have to do this again. In fact, I want to be someone to speak up is what people were saying. So it was unbelievable. And I think the hybrid for me, what really stood out was the people that I'd never met in person that only during the pandemic I met over Zoom, I didn't have quite the right strong enough connection with versus the people I'd met in person. So the quarterly connect, bringing us together, getting to break bread with someone and have a drink with them and get to chat and see them in person. I don't know why, but it just makes a difference. And now my relationships are richer with the people that I got to finally meet in person. So the hybrid nature, I think is incredibly important. And I think we can make it work. I've said to the team, we've all sort of discussed that this will evolve over time. It's got to be a dynamic thing. We can't just say, Now we're forever perfectly hybrid in this model. Let's be open to change and making tweaks. And we seek their feedback to to make it better. Yeah. And look, I think that's what great leaders do. You know, they they when the conditions change, your your opinions and perspectives have to change. I I was actually working working on my Friday forward next week. I was thinking about it. It's around this money manager who was just hot hand, you know, two years ago just getting eviscerated now and refuses to change strategy. And fundamentally, the market has totally changed and values change. And it just, a lot of times these maximalists, right? And I think a maximalist is someone who doesn't change their opinion as the facts change. <laughs> and, yeah. and you see people get stuck in that. Yeah. No. And so I think that's something our team has done well is bobbing and weaving with times changing and knowing that times will never be static and that we're we're constantly going to evolve. But that a, it keeps it exciting and fun. So back to your original question, how has your business changed during the pandemic? I would say it it gave us permission as leaders to figure out how to keep up with change, how to listen more to people, and how to just be stronger at, at connecting with people with any limitations and boundaries we might have. So this might not have been an issue for you again. It did well, but I'm curious. You know, you, one of the things that you you know you known for is this the the painted picture, uh, and been just a total thought leader on on company vision and thinking ahead. And we've used that super successfully. So, but we're we're living right now through related to what we just said, a time where tons of business plans have just been thoroughly uprooted by pandemic, inflation, supply chain, great resignation. Like, what are some strategies to keep like a vision in in just a changing world. I mean, I I joke in our industry and I say like in professional services, like I think the Nobel Prize in mathematics should be given out to the person who solves supply and demand in a services business because mm-hmm. as, as soon as you get comfortable with, with one side, the other side falls apart. But at the same time, it's important to like keep your eyes on the prize, but sometimes also you got to just keep the boat afloat. So how, how do you think about that for for your business or maybe for other businesses where they were on the opposite side of that trade. Everything stopped, right? I think a big thing for us, and it might be sort of, uh, it's not fluff, it's real, but it's optimism and just framing everything in an encouraging, positive way. So even an example you said was the great resignation. 
I refused to accept that there was going to be a great resignation. And I said to our team, let's rebrand it internally, at least. Let's call it the great progression. People are going to leave because they don't have the opportunity in your business, because they aren't growing, they're not having fun, whatever is going wrong, try and understand what is missing in your company that will allow people or our companies to allow people to progress. So we gave people permission to talk about it and said, of course you can leave. Anyone can leave anytime. But what if we could progress together? Everyone wants to progress their career and make more money, more responsibility, more uh, creativity, whatever it is. So we tried to tap into our people and say, how do we progress versus just resign? And it's been powerful. We, we have not lost as many people as a percentage, I'm sure, compared to a lot of companies. And yes, there was a period there where it was sort of like, oh, is this going to get ugly? But it kind of went away really quickly. And we are bringing on lots of great people who are leaving and resigning from other companies because their companies aren't listening to this new way of being. People are leaving and coming to us saying, you know, I was told I got to come back to the office 100% of the time and too much structure. And so I think that the great resignation has been more of a blessing to us, but it's it's back to your question. You know, what what is I don't remember the question actually, but the my, my answer- how, do, how, how do you maintain sort of long-term vision in near-term chaos? Like what is the balance? Because sometimes again, you can't have your head in the clouds talking mm-hmm. about the you know thing that's gonna happen four years from now when you know, the, the boat is sinking, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. about, about where it's going to land. It's a real delicate balance, but you also got to keep people focused on the future and optimism. So how do you think about that, that balance? Because I look, I think I, everything, one thing I've heard from a lot of business leaders, whether business is, is it's really hard right now. Like everything is, is a high degree of difficulty. It is hard. It is hard. So I'm going to come back to that in a yeah. second, but I will say grounded optimism. So not optimism where head in the clouds, like what's Brian smoking kind of thing. This is like, we are pragmatic optimism, pragmatic and excited. And it's kind of fun to do the impossible and some things are going to be hard, but we are going to work as a team to cheerlead each other through some hard things. Now to your comment of things are hard. Everything is harder. I don't think that's forever, but things are harder. You know, waiting in line at Starbucks is way longer today than it's ever been. You know, and and I think COVID taught us a level of patience. It tested our patience, taught us to be more patient. And every line, not just Starbucks, but just lines in the world, everything takes longer. Everything's harder. You know, the airport, the travel, everything is just harder. And it's figuring out a better way to get through it all. And I think with our people and our teams, our franchise owners is is trying to empower people to be patient. And to find more creative ways to grow our business during hard times. And, you know, we don't give up. Uh, You know, what was the whole, I was watching a documentary on Apollo 11 with my son and JFK saying, you know, we chose to go to the moon, not because it was easy, but because it was hard. And I think that that's, we're being tested right now. Things are harder, but we get to do this. We get to build businesses. We get to grow our people. And it's not as easy and it won't be hard forever, but that's the challenge and the exciting. So yes, I'm a glass half full type person. Clearly, I see gifts and everything good and bad, but we're having fun. We're growing the business and COVID in many ways, you know, health uh, issues aside for people, it was a blessing to us in terms of 
uh, how it's impacted our business and our people. All right, well, let's talk about the new book, BYOB. Near, near the beginning, I noticed you had uh, something that said, my friend Shaquille O'Neal. So how did you become acquainted with, with Shaq? And do you have a, a favorite Shaq story? Yeah, so a couple of things about Shaq. So Shaq, we asked him to speak during the pandemic. I knew someone that had met him that had him speak to the entrepreneur organization. And I said, can you hook me up? And so Shaq spoke at our kickoff, our big annual franchise convention, uh, virtually. And at the end, he just says, Brian, if there's another brand you're starting, like I want to I want to invest. I want in. I love what you guys are building. And it was funny because me interviewing Shaq, he kept turning it back to me and asking me questions. How did you start 1-800-GOT-JUNK? Like he is such a curious, smart, brilliant man. And uh, I kind of fell in love with the guy and got a little man crush. And at the end, he goes, you know, so listen, if you ever start something new, I want to know about it. And at the end of our kickoff, uh, which you spoke at as well, yeah. he goes, hey, listen, here's my cell number, you know, in private. He gives me his cell number and he goes, call me, text me. And so uh, we get on another call and another call and we started talking business and opportunities and who knows what could happen. But I was really impressed to learn that here's a guy who we hear stories about pro athletes that after sports, they go, ah, what am I going to do now? And, and big stats that many of them go bankrupt and lose their fortune in a few short years. Well, what was different about Shaq is he understood his strengths. He goes, listen, and I talk about this in BYOB. There's two paths that I think to entrepreneurship, the most popular ones. Start with a blank sheet like you and I did. Create something absolutely from scratch or go a franchise route and create something from a proven playbook. What Shaq did, he said, I'm a great leader. I know how to build winning teams. I know how to cheerlead. I know how to set goals. I know how to follow a playbook. Perfect. I'm going to start buying franchises. He's got a half a billion dollars in wealth that he's built through wow. many different channels, but a lot of them being franchise organizations. So he said, how do I take what has followed pro or came from pro sports and where do I put that? And uh, the guy's amazing. So uh, supposed to have dinner with him uh, next month, which will be quite exciting. And uh, yeah, hope to continue to call him or, or get one day to say, you know, he's a good friend, but he's He's got he's, such he's an, so charismatic. Like he, he's got know, he's, such a sense of humor. People just want to do stuff with him. He came to Boston for a year. He brought so yeah. much levity. Like he's just yeah, he's got a great great personality. Yeah, good guy. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. So there's a question I wanted to ask you. Uh, so what is, what is the beer and barbecue test? And how does that, how does that relate to professional culture? Yeah, so as somebody who's very ADD, you know, I mean, you'd ask me a question. I'm like, well, what was the question yeah. again, right? Squirrel, squirrel, <laughs> there they go running across the screen. I am someone who likes simplification of things. And hence, I hence acronyms. You can remember your own book titles, right? Exactly. Right. And something I've always found challenging is interviewing and recruiting. Now, Vern Harnish is great. He gives you all the top grading tools and this and that, the four-hour process. And those things are important. Um, I love the style of how you would go through a really long interview. We tried to take process and, and just say, what's the simplest part of interviewing? What's the essence of what you're trying to accomplish? And I reframed it in my own mind. And we say with our team, would you have a beer with this person? Do I find this person interesting, interested? shared common passion? Are they just great to hang out with? People often say to me, you know, how do you find great people? And I ask, well, how do you find great friends? Nobody. I've never met anyone that goes through a checklist and goes, okay, Bob, so you like this sports team, this beer, boom, boom, boom. You meet, you check all the boxes. We just know we trust our gut because we have a real conversation and find out if someone's our type of person. And so I get, I take that process and I go, how do we do it in an interview? I tell someone I haven't looked at their resume. I just want to get to know them. And we start with a conversation. Would I have a beer with this person is the ultimate outcome. And our team's been doing that. Now we interview a lot. So it's not uncommon for someone for an executive role to say, I've had between eight to 14 interviews with this company. So I mean, eight to 14 beers, you know, that that could get a little unruly. A little out of hand. (laughs) And then, uh, but the barbecue test is then, okay, yes, you like them. But how do they fit at a company-wide barbecue or picnic? Do they fit and do they add to the community? So we're not looking for people to be just like us. We are looking for diversity of people, backgrounds, opinions. We want people that will challenge us. We want introverts, extroverts. We want smart people, but we want people that just add to the party, if you will. And so beer and barbecue test is just a way to simplify it. And it's a good litmus test to just go, okay, at the end of the interview, everything I've asked and learned, how do I feel? Do they pass the beer test, the barbecue test? Boom. And uh, that's it. It works for us. B&B, another acronym. <laughs> there you go. So there's another quote that you shared, a uh, concept, I'll, I'll paraphrase, that I, I'm also deeply in agreement with it. But it was, uh, the second time you make a mistake, it's not a mistake. It's a choice. So mm-hmm. what what... 
how do you avoid making, I, I have another thing to that. I think there are things that were very logical outcomes of the action. Um, the, I also don't think those are necessarily, you know, mistakes, you know, for example, I, I had this discussion with my son. If you turn on the bathtub and you leave the room and you go oh, get gosh. distracted downstairs, like, yes, there's a mistake element to that, but yeah. you know, that, that, so how do you think about good mistakes and, and bad mistakes? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, clearly you overflood the bathtub. It's, it could be a very expensive mistake, right? So I get that mistakes can hurt. They can be expensive. We closed down our, well, we, we sold off our moving business that we had, You Move Me, because we brought in franchise owners who ran 1-800-GOT-JUNK and said, you get trucks, you get people, you, you, you understand the business. Let's go into this next business. And Dina Dwyer, who is the Dwyer, started the Dwyer Group, they own, I don't know, 25 franchises. They're now called Neighborly, I believe. And what Dina said to us when we called her about our idea of starting You Move Me, she said, Brian and Eric, our president, she said, don't do it. Here's why. And she told us why. She goes, I've made that mistake. You don't need to make it if you choose not to. And we said, okay, great, great. We hear you. And we went and did it. And eight years later, after we sold the company, we called her and said, Dina, you were right. And the reason she was right was what she told us is it would disfocus them from 1-800-GOT-JUNK, their bread and butter. They'd go focus on the new shiny thing. Oh, because it was the same ones. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a challenge and we've learned and we won't do that again. Expensive, expensive mistake, but it was powerful in terms of what it taught us as we add other brands to the O2E brands umbrella. So is there a good mistake, a bad mistake? I mean, when I fired my entire company of 11 people and five years into my business, realizing I had the wrong people, that's when I learned the slogan on my hat today is it's all about people. Find the right people and treat them right. It was a catastrophic seeming decision or mistake at the time, but thank goodness I only had 11 employees, not the thousands we have today. So I think the mistake is at the time, it might be a really big, bad, expensive mistake, but trusting that that mistake is something that will teach you something that hopefully prevents you from something much larger later in life. It's interesting. You said find the right people and, and treat them right. Would that, would that imply that if you treat the wrong people right, it, it doesn't matter? I think so. Yeah. I think so. You know, if you have someone, so in our organization, we are very positive, optimistic people. We've had some negative people in our organization that we've done everything we can to support them, Yeah, but they have a challenge with seeing the world in a negative way and we just can't help. So treating those wrong people right does not make Solution in search of a problem or they, what is it? They see negative people see a problem in every solution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, what I, I will clarify with that statement, the right, find the right people and treat them right. Find the right people for you. Yeah. So one of the stories I tell in BYOB is how we had a, an executive from Starbucks who came to run my little company and great person, very, very, very successful today in another role, was the wrong person for me and my company. I needed to learn from that, that this person did not work with entrepreneurs. This person worked with really big corporate executives and just the as you and I both know and can appreciate with ourselves, I'm sure, is that entrepreneurs are different. They can be ADD. They can be very fire-ready aim and lots going on. And you need a complementary partner who understands not only how to grow the business the way it needs to be done, but understands the value in some of the 
quirkiness of entrepreneurs and how they think and how there's a great idea. I mean, what Eric will say to me so often is, Brian, that's an awesome idea, but let's park that and let's look at it in six months and see if it's still a great idea. Because as an entrepreneur, the next shiny object can be very distracting. And if a CEO says, let's go do it, it isn't always the right thing to do at the right time and you need the balance. So find the right people for you, for your company, and then treat them right. All right, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Brian Scudamore. Today's episode is brought to you by Surfshark VPN. A VPN is a tool that improves your online privacy and protects you from hackers. How? It basically acts as a shield and hides your IP address, so everything you do online stays private. Whether it's reading the news, streaming a new show, listening to podcasts like this one, you name it. Plus, if you use a VPN, you can continue to use your favorite streaming services such as Netflix, Hulu, and Disney Plus as you travel, just like you were in your home location. Can't see a YouTube video because of your location? Use Surfshark VPN. Can't access that one website to buy limited edition sneakers? Use Surfshark VPN. Try Surfshark today totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals/elevate. Enter promo code ELEVATE for 83% off and three extra months free. That's three extra months for free at surfshark.deals slash elevate. And we're back with Brian. So Brian, you're you're a self-taught business owner. And now I know you spend a lot of time teaching others. That's a lot about what your book is uh, and the books are about. What's the most important lesson that you like to lead with when you're coaching entrepreneurs as you do in, in BYOB? Well, I think the the biggest takeaway from the book, the reason I wrote the book, I mean, WTF was our story and lessons learned along the way that someone else might be able to apply. But, you know, someone reads WTF because they like our businesses and connect somehow to what we've built. BYOB, I think, is a a 90-minute-ish conversation where I, you know, even by the name, the title, it's like grab a beer, grab a cold beverage. I talk about it in the beginning of the book and read it in one sitting. And at the end of the sitting, I want someone to make a decision. 66% of people in the US dream of being an entrepreneur, of starting their own business. Far fewer actually do. I would love to inspire people to decide, is that really the path they want to take? So somebody reads BYOB and at the end they go, okay, do I take one of two paths that Brian talks about? Do I start from scratch? Do I need to be the person creating the business from scratch? Or do I do the Shaquille O'Neal model where he says like, listen, I don't need to build the race car. I just want to drive it. And which path would you take? When when I started the business, it took me eight years to get to a million in revenue, blank sheeting it. Paul Guy, our Toronto, our first franchise partner, did a million in his first calendar year by starting a franchise. I would never be a franchise owner. Paul would never be a franchisor and blank sheet it. So they're two different personalities. And at the end of the book, I would love someone to go, okay, one of these two paths is definitely where I should go. Or a third option is stay in corporate America, work with an entrepreneur, help support and, and empower an entrepreneurial company if you love small business. It doesn't mean that you have to be the leader yourself. So, so taking one of those choices, that's what I ultimately would love someone to take at the end of the book. This isn't a book to pitch franchising by any means. I mean, we'll find enough right. franchise owners as we grow. This is me going, hey, Simon Sinek, who I talk about in the book, who wrote Starts With Why, 
He spent a night on my couch and he helped me uncover my why, which is to imagine big possibilities and inspire others to imagine big possibilities. You never know if you think big, those ideas might actually happen. So my belief is, how can I inspire others to take that leap if that's what's in their, their dream? So let's talk about what comes before. And I think, again, great. Those are two very viable paths. But like one thing to be honest about, like it's not easy. None of this is easy. And in fact, a lot of this stuff, I always say entrepreneurship is sexy in the rear view mirror. Like I'll hear a lot of stories where someone is selling their business or whatever. And people are like, oh, so lucky right time. And then, you know, that person will talk about someone who I know he's, he was the last time he was at the law firm, they were about to tear clear bankruptcy and lose his house and, you know, all, all that stuff. So, and, and look, I think this runs a little bit into an issue where there's been this, you know, a couple generations now of accommodative parenting style saying like, if it's really hard, don't do it. Or mm-hmm. let's prepare the path for Johnny, not Johnny, you know, for the path. And he said like, it's hard. Like you, you got to want to do enough and quit. I, and, and this, and it's also, you know, talk about a lot of the challenges going on right now. Like, again, sometimes like it's easy to be, be a heckler and it's hard to be in the play. I, I keep telling this story where last year I was at a conference and the conference ended and, the la- and they asked the speaker and it was on sort of flexible work. Like, what do you think a big workplace trend for next year you know, is? And over the next year, I said, look, I think flexibility. I think people are going to demand it, so on and so forth. Someone yeah. else said something. The last speaker said, I think people want to work on what they want to work on, where they want to work and how they want to work. And I just couldn't leave that alone. <laughs> so I, I started went back. I said, look, I, I, I got to tell you, like, that is great if you want to run your own business. That is not a great philosophy to have as a teammate in a company. And it's it's harder than it looks. So I think this is some interesting stuff. I think people assume it'll all be rainbows and unicorns or just because it's worth doing, it's easy. You know, I, I think it's it's not. And, and and the rainbows and unicorns are where where you are now, you know, after or or, or otherwise. So I know that there was a lot in that to unpack, but um, what, do you think there are some risks to entrepreneurship now? Because I think people assume that, you know, it's just, they should be easy or that the company should, you know, a lot of people just make some statements and act like it's all really easy. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. it's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah, no, I, I agree with probably everything you, you've said there. And yes, lots to unpack. I'll start by saying, we had Robert Herjavec, who's one of the Shark yeah. Tanks, you know, a friend of mine, a fellow Canadian. And I remember spending some time with him and we actually brought him to our conference as well. And one of the questions I asked him is, what words of advice do you have for entrepreneurs with the ups and the downs and just getting through it all? And he's like, Brian, when you're an entrepreneur, as we are, we get to do this. We get the ups, we get the downs, and we wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I'm the guy on a roller coaster that's got my hands up on the way up, on the way down with a big smile. When things are hard in my life or in business, it's still, how do you see it in an optimistic way to go, I get to do this. I get to solve problems. I get to figure out how to get to the other side and work through the journey. Um, Entrepreneurship's amazing, but I'm very clear with people, it is not easy at all, but you need to embrace those difficult times and frame it in your mind where you're not stressed by, oh my gosh, things are so bad. Now things can get ugly and stressful yeah. and, and you're allowed to get stressed, but on a day-to-day basis, you need to sit there and go, you know what? This is awesome that I got to choose this lifestyle. 
And so, you know, when, when you say that comment that you had an emotional reaction to that I had <laughs> as well is people want to work how they want, when they want, da, 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 da. Like, no, life's not that way. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help define the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Any candidate who's looking for a job is going to be on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals, and many like myself use it every day, which also makes it the best place to hire. LinkedIn gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. That's why 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free today at linkedin.com practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, that's not, I mean, that. imagine someone walking onto a sports team. I always say like walking on a, you know, the Bill Belichick of the Patriots and being like, look, I just want to do what I want to do. That's, that's not, it's great if you want to go be a free agent driver for Uber or Lyft or Instacart and do it like you, you can do that. But there are sacrifices to being part of a, a team. And I think, there's a lot of everyone saying how it should change and how it should be fixed. But again, these things are complicated. Like as yeah. someone said to me, there are no hecklers on the stage, right? It's a lot of times it brings people on the stage. Like how, how would you solve the problem of, Hey, you know, our labor's gone up 10%, but our customers aren't willing to pay us anymore. Like what, <laughs> what solutions do you have to that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's people need to, they need to consult others. You know, I believe that if, anyone feels they're the smartest person in the room, they're in the wrong room. Yeah. And so whether you're on stage in the audience, it's, it's asking questions from the hecklers that's listening to them and just going, okay, how do we solve this? How do we work together on these ideas? I think people don't listen enough and people do think they're the smartest person in the room. And while many people will say, well, Brian, it's easy for you to say, cause you're the CEO of this 600 million dollar company. It's like, no, I've always been someone who's really tried to remember that as long as I can hire smarter people always and listen to them, I don't have to always agree with them, but to listen to them. And that's why Eric and I work so well together. I'm able to listen to him and and his counsel and advice and, and he with me as well. 
Well, and it's also right bringing solutions with problems. Look, you're a very mission-driven company. You know things that are important to you. I'm curious how you because I think this is a fundamental issue of focus, and focus tends to kill, you know, organizations that I've seen. But you know, I think there's people who think that companies should take on a range of different things. They should take on different social issues. They should respond to things going on in the world and the news and otherwise. And I, I think that's a really hard you know, thing to do, particularly if that's, you know, not part of your DNA or it's not in your industry, it's out of your sandbox. I'm curious, like, you know, you talked about your, you got your franchise owners distracted on a new franchise and not the old one and what happened, like for a company that does a lot of stuff outside your company, how do you think about like where the company should wade in, where it shouldn't wade in? Like, is it, I think that's, that's also one of the advantages of having an operating system, but I'm curious your take on that. Yeah. Yeah, I think during COVID, there were a lot of things during that two-year period where there were social issues that were coming to light that it was one thing after another after another. And people were at home watching the news, going through their feed, and just going, my company needs to speak up and say something. And we heard that a lot. And we said, okay, you're, you're right. The world needs more diversity, equity, inclusion. We, before making a statement out on social media that, yes, the world needs to stand up for this, instead, we said, what do we need to do internally? What work do we need to do to make our community, our family better in those areas? And we asked a lot of questions and we listened to people and we had a lot of discussion around it to say, this isn't about us telling our customers what we're doing. This is about us actually doing the work to get better. And so every issue that rose, we, we had discussions and there were a lot of people that said, my company needs to wave a flag for this, for that, the other thing. And you just, you can't please everybody. And, you know, the famous or the, the slogan we've all heard something like, you know, if you try and please yeah. everyone, you please no one. And, and that resonates with me. And so I think even most of the people, I've had conversations with some of them since us not posting about these things on social media has had them at the end of the day, come back after reflecting at how we handled it. And, and I think most people said, you know what, that, that was the right way. There's also an implication. I think that's kind of complicated for these big companies. Look, you're a well-known out there CEO, you know, there's a question sort of inanimate, like do companies have opinions? Because is, is Brian, is Brian making his opinion, the company opinion? I don't know how like Coke forms an organizational opinion on something. It might be the opinion of six people at the leadership table, but it can't possibly represent all the diverse interests. So I, right. I think there's always a pressure to do this, but I've always, I've struggled with that philosophical, you know, question too. So I I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's an interesting perspective. I hadn't really thought about it that way that a, a company is a company of great women and men working together towards a common goal it can't really have its own opinion and it can have its own culture and ways of working and so on. But we've directed our energy towards let's make positive change in our world first as best we can. I mean, it's a complex world yeah, and we know that, but we get to do this and it's been pretty awesome. So another question for you that, that relates to the book, because I think this comes up a lot, like people, and I remember myself in this place too. Like, like, so let's say someone really feels they're an entrepreneur. They are, 
I don't mean this in a bad way, but they're a troublemaker in their company. You know, they're, they're as I'm sure you were a terrible employee. I don't even think you actually ever were an employee. So maybe I maybe, was, I was but really when you were 14, right? I mean, not, not, <laughs> not when you're older. Yeah. Um, so they have the drive, they have the DNA, but they just don't have the idea, right? They don't, it, like, you know, where should they start? I, I, of course, after reading your book, but is that, should that lead them down one path or, or the other? I think so. I think if someone doesn't have the idea for the model, then I think people stress about that. People, I, That's the thing I hear the most yeah. is people say, I want to start my own business, but I don't know what kind of business. Yeah. Well, if you don't have the idea, if you don't have the Instagram, the Snapchat, the ring, um, you know, whatever it is that's been started that you compare yourself to, I mean, and, and all those you know, uh, examples I gave were all accidents. Jamie Siminoff, who started Ring and sold it for billions to Amazon, he had an incubator of all these different inventions. Yeah. And actually, the what became Ring was one that he didn't even really look at as being something that had any potential. But people kept saying, what's that thing you're using to answer your door so that people can come into your garage and, uh, you know, you can get packages while you're working in your in your garage. And so, it's interesting how those ideas can come. If you're not someone who has an idea, are you committed to going down that process of being open to just an idea coming one day somehow serendipitously? I didn't go out to start a junk removal business. I went out to start to find a way to pay for college. Yeah. But I realized I was learning more about business running one versus studying. So people stress about the idea. Starting a franchise gives you an immediate idea that you connect with, that you say, hey, you know, someone looks at wow one day painting where we paint people's homes in a day and they go, oh, I just love the brand. I get the concept. It's less disruptive. And they buy a franchise and they learn how to build a business. If a better idea comes to them and they want to leave wow one day painting to go start with a blank sheet. Great. You've learned some really cool things from how to run a business about how to run a business from us. So and you might have learned one of the best business, a valuable business is one where you are not needed every day. So maybe you just keep that and it exactly. produces income and it exactly. helps pay for your new idea. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's a very personal decision, which path to take, but this is meant, the book is meant to open someone's eyes to both paths are great. Yeah. And a lot of people don't consider franchising because they go, Oh, it's not very sexy. It's someone else's idea. Well then look at Shaquille. Shaquille's like, I don't need to build the car. I don't need to build the race car. I just want to drive it. Yeah. Right. And so, whereas you look at some people want to engineer something, particularly where you say, like, look, someone like that who is a built in marketing machine, right? Mm. Why take a product market fit risk if you have a competitive advantage in, in marketing? Right. I mean, that just seems like a probably one of the reasons why he's successful. Right. I mean, a lot of people do not have the reach that Shaquille O'Neal has. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I hope when anyone that's listening, reads the book that they walk away going, okay, I got some clarity on which path I might uh, select. All right. So this question is like, you've done stuff in a very specific segment. If tomorrow you settled and you had to sign a non-compete that you would not, you couldn't be in this industry, any of these industries are totally different. You had to start a business or do a different business. Mm -hmm. What do you think you would do? Well, it would still be in services yeah. for sure. I love seeing customers with a smile on their face. 
it has to be a happy business. So the reason we got out primarily from you move me our moving business. People are stressed when they're moving. It's not happy, right? No matter how well our truck team members have done, our movers did, people just are like, oh. It's like the IT guy. The best thing you could do is your computer works as it's supposed to. And then if anything's broken, people are angry, right? For sure. Yeah. And they get angry at the IT person because they're just like, how come you couldn't fix it? Well, it's a new problem. Nobody understood. Um, So I would get into a service space where I could make a difference to people and where I could start relatively inexpensively. Every one of our brands are brands that could be started with very little capital. And to me, that's, that's important. How do, you, how do you make your business about people? Finding the right people and treating them right, having a clear vision, and then the systems to grow and scale it at a pace that's faster than most. Well, I'm sure whatever you did, you would be very good at it. And so... We, we may have talked about this last time, but it's always, I think, a good reminder. But what's what's one of the personal... We talked about mistakes earlier, but what's one of the personal and professional mistakes you made uh, that you've, you've learned the most from in your career? Oh, great. Personal, professional mistakes. It can be, um, I would say it can be singular or recurring. Yeah. I think you know going to school as long as I did was a bit of a mistake. I went to 14 schools from kindergarten to high school, to college. I only graduated from kindergarten, not the other two. And I think I stuck with school because I was told school is what you need to do. My father, who's a liver transplant surgeon, has done more schooling than anybody. And I think there was a lot of pressure, frankly, from my dad to, I had to stay in school. But there are other ways to learn. I wrote a post uh, the other day about the program you and I have been a part of, Birthing of Giants, which became Gathering of Titans. It's not that I dropped out of school. I mean, I dropped out of high school, talked my way into college and went to all these different colleges and never finished. I didn't really drop out of school. I dropped out of school to find the schooling and learning that worked for me. I found that I don't learn through books. I learn through conversations. I pick up the phone and I call people. I ask questions. I'm very curious. I found Birthing the Giants, my school that's been 22 years of yeah. me going every single year to participate. And you, in haven't failed, and you haven't failed out yet. Haven't failed out yet. And I don't <laughs> think you can. So that's good. Um, but for me, it's, I think that was a mistake doing too much school. And just the mistake was accepting that that's the way it needed to be versus me knowing that I, I couldn't sit still in school. I didn't want to learn about things I didn't want to learn about. And there's a lot of ADD personalities that don't fit with school. How can you find the right schooling for you? And I should have found it sooner. And uh, I'm glad I found it. And I can't change the past, but uh, I think that would be a big one. All right. Well, where can people uh, find the book, learn more about you, business? Where should they go? Biggest bookstore on the planet. Go to Amazon and search up Brian Scudamore. They can go to brianscudamore.com. They can go to Google and find any of our different companies and brands. And I mean, it's, it's all out there on the Google, right? You know, you, you can't go wrong. You can find me if you try pretty easy. All right. Well, Brian, thanks for coming back and, and talking to us and congrats again on, on the book and uh, all your success and your new newfound relationship with uh, Shaquille O'Neal. There you go. Well, <laughs> thanks for having me. Congrats right back at you. You're someone that's always an inspiration. There's very, I will say one thing that I want to say is there 
are so many people out there now that say they're thought leaders, but you are one of the few that I know that actually is. So, uh, so thank you for your inspiration and all you do and such great content you put out there for the world. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, you can learn more about Brian and BYOB on the episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode or the Elevate podcast in general, all you need to do is just leave us a review because it helps new users find the show and hear great uh, content and guests uh, such as Brian. Thank you very much for your time and support. And until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.